the Ghost Goal Podcast. There were hat-tricks galore in the Premier League on Saturday as Erling Haaland, Hyunmin Son, and Evan Ferguson fired their teams to big wins, while Arsenal went into the first international break of the season with a late win against rivals Manchester United after late goals from Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 421. Good weekend for the Gunners. Not so great. Winning uh, the league, for, Alex. For the Chels. I mean, I already uh, said so, it earlier, you know? Okay. All right. Javier, how are you doing today? I'm sure doing the answer is good. Well. Doing pretty yeah. well. Had a great weekend. Great Labor Day weekend. Honestly, if this game had ended in anything but a win, I would have had not so great of a weekend. So, you know, doing well, Alex. We're doing well. How about you? You, I know uh, you've been you've been at the beach. You've been relaxing. Other than Chelsea, I'm, it's been I'm, nice. I'm chill, man. Yeah. I've, I've been at the beach for just about two weeks now. You know, working remotely, so you know I can come out to the beach, work from home, home basically here, go down to the beach, crack a beer, go to the bar, watch the sports. I'm I'm in a good spot right now. Chelsea has just the been woes the woes of Chelsea sort of, are far away, right? Right. It's Chelsea has just been the one sort of like dampener, and even that day on Saturday when the loss happened, like I think me and me <laughs> James, who I'm out here with, are one of our mutual friends from school. We had been drinking since like 8.30 in the morning. The Chelsea game is at 10 a.m. Because, you know, we had the long weekend, three-day weekend for Labor Day. Uh, so once Chelsea uh, lost, I, I just turned to James and just went, let's get even more drunk so I can forget this bullshit. <laughs> and I ended up having a great, uh, you know, great drunken time. So, yeah, all things aside, all Chelsea things aside, doing pretty good. Uh, we're not going to start with Chelsea. That was just, you know, surrounding my state of mind at the moment, not necessarily towards Chelsea. We'll get to that later. We have to start with the big win. The one I mentioned in the intro, Arsenal beating Manchester United 3-1 at the Emirates uh, on Sunday. Uh, it was looking close there for a while. Even looked for a half second like United might smash and grab, steal a win. Uh, but VAR came to your rescue and so did Declan Rice. Uh, hey, so what did I predict, Alex? I said on the last pod, I said... Very likely even United get the first goal, um, and that I thought it would be a close game and someone would win it at the end. And that's exactly what happened. I said 3-1 Arsenal. I didn't expect the two, you know, the the the, it, the third goal needing to come so late, but it was, I mean, what I mean, a it game helps that having, was. what, like 15 minutes of a- added time. I think it was, it was only supposed to be 10 or something. Well, and I mean, United, the celebrations in, the, United from the goals, literally in the, four, in the, in the first half started time wasting and in the second half as well, like in the 46th minute, they were already taking 30 seconds on their goal kicks. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm so happy now that we get those extra minutes now because teams like Manchester United in the past have gotten away with bullshit like that. And in, in previous seasons, it would have been four minutes of out of time and this game would have ended in a draw. Right. So, you know, it, that, that like time wasting habit that some teams have just like built into it, it's costing them now. And I mean, it, there was so many refereeing decisions, so many things that happened in this game. I don't want to talk about any of that, Alex, because I honestly thought in the end, Taylor did a pretty good job. Uh, I actually thought that he refereed the game well. He let things go when they needed to go. He he he, you know, was able to rectify the mistake that he made. Went to the VAR, saw that it was a mistake. Uh, you know, was able. You mean to, for the Kai Havertz penalty, right? For the Kai Havertz penalty, yes. Oh, I thought uh, you. I thought you. I thought you were saying in terms of the the offside for Garnacho's goal, and no, I was coming did, in with a joke. He didn't go to. The, he didn't go to the the. Yeah, he just got Garnacho's told. You're right. Offside. 
You're right. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that, I mean, it was a great game. I thought Manchester United played well, you know, in spurts in this game. I thought they were, there were times on the counterattack that they looked somewhat dangerous. They didn't really create many chances. Uh, their only goal came from, I mean, they had the, the, the Garnacho chance that was, you know, a goal, whatever chalked offside, even though it was amazing step up by Gabriel offside trap. That's what you do against the high line. And if you play it well, then it destroys high line. So that was our game plan against their game plan. So I don't, I don't even, I don't consider the Garnacho thing like an actual chance, but the, the Rashford chance that he got, that was from a Kai Havertz back pass. Again, I was calling for Kai Havertz not to play Alex and it cost us again in this game. I mean, it was another mistake from him, which he also had a, an opportunity at goal where he was basically was played in beautifully one-on-one kind of lucky also took a little rebound right to his feet and he just whiffs on the ball. And then Inketia was in on goal that got cleared. Inketia didn't actually miss that chance there. That was that was the defender who cleared it. But two huge moments in the game for Kai Havertz. Um, one was the you know the mistake for the goal, and the other one was missing the chance. It's I think it's going to take time. Like I've said, I think we've put too much pressure on him at the beginning of the season. I think there's been too much expectation. I think we've had the weapons and the players to not have to play him as much as we have. Um, and Arteta's forced it a little bit. Um, and I think that was maybe his way of being like showing his faith in Kai and saying, look, I still, you know, this is how much I want you and my team. I'm going to play you even if you're not playing well. And it almost cost us again, but it didn't in the end. So it's, it's, it's hard to be too upset about it um, because I think as soon as Kai Havertz came off the pitch, <laughs> we took over the game completely. There was one point I was, I was pretty surprised Manchester United. I mean, their possession was pretty useless, but they had more possession than Arsenal until Kai Havertz came off the pitch. Um, once Fabio Vieira came on, we just started dominating in midfield. We're able to get on the ball much more and United were just penned back basically for the entire rest of the game. After Vieira came on, United did absolutely nothing. Do you mind if I just cut in on the Kai Havertz point real quick? Because I, I, I do want to get to like the, the rest of the game as well. But before we sort of leave the Kai Havertz thing aside... As a Chelsea fan, like I understand that there's a lot of Chelsea fans who are, you know, taking whatever opportunity this is to, to be like, haha, 65 million, like he's he's the shit for you as he is for us. I don't really look at it that way. Like, I, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to get that much for Kai Havertz because his time at Chelsea was clearly done. But I still like I still have this feeling that it'll work out. Like, look at Fabio Vieira. Like, he's been there like a full year, was in and out of the team, had some games where he like the Brentford game where he scored that long distance goal last year and had some couple of Europa League performances where you think, okay, this guy isn't ready right now to contribute meaningfully like every game for Arsenal in the Premier League. But there's enough promise there that, you know, it could it could work out into something in the future. And I don't think it's acceptable for Kai Havertz to take a year to hit the ground, like running uh, for Arsenal, but certainly not four games, four games in that he needs to learn to, and learn to take being benched. If that does happen, he needs to learn to take that on the chin and then bounce back when he is given another opportunity, just like a player like Vieira has. So I, I certainly don't think that like four games in people should be saying it's like wasted money or anything. It just might take a little bit longer than, Arsenal fans may have hoped, uh, but you're right. You guys just took over the game once Kai Havertz came off. Now, it, it does it does need to be said though that Lissandra Martinez did get hurt, so Harry Maguire had to come on right around the same time that that happened. So that did affect Manchester United a lot, having to play Lindelof and Maguire in at, in the back line. You know, of course, and then eventually to- Johnny Evans. They took off Lindelof for Johnny Evans and ended the game with a Harry Maguire Johnny Evans like center back pairing. I mean, it was obvious. 
it was obvious from the moment that like the you know both mcguire and evans were on that united were going to concede at some point like it's like those no, two it's like there's like, like it's, it's like a testimonial match yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. back to yeah, that's you know? pretty wild that's pretty wild yeah i mean that was that was honestly probably one of the biggest reasons why they're uh you know, we were able to get in on goal for that last third goal with Jesus. But I mean, the goal off the corner, I don't think would have changed at all. That was, uh, you know, Declan Rice, ice cold veins. Just. Well, maybe beautiful. like Ferran or, or Martinez would have been able to get free of being held like that for the, the you know, the winner. But cause it, was, it was Evans who was being like held back. And that's why Rice was in so much space. I'm not saying a penalty should be given there. Or the goal should be chalked off. I'm just saying that's some dark arts, some well-timed dark arts there. That but maybe, I have to uh, say, like the substitutions, Alex, have overcome. the substitutions, like I thought Tomiyasu was great when he came on. He's such a versatile player. Um, it's so useful to be able to have, bring in like any wing that we need, wing back, like left or right back, even center back. He, you know, he can play everything. So he was great. Um, like you already mentioned, Fabio Vieira was great. Uh, and then even Reese Nelson, he came on the 90th minute for like the nine minutes or 10 minutes that were left in the game. He was fantastic. Like He's great on the ball. He's, I hope he's going to be a super sub just like he was last season. I think there's going to be even more game time for him this season. And yeah, I mean, it, it just a lot of positives. Um, I think it wasn't our best performance. Um, I think, you know, going back to the back four that we did, which is what I, I did ask for us to go back to the back four, which I'm happy that we did. Um, you know, Gabrielle starting, I think, was massive. You know, he, he played that offside trap. Him, you know, being back with Zinchenko and, and, and Saliba. And, you know, I think Ben White was the one who needed to do the most adjusting because he was back at right back after playing center back for us for the first month of the season. You know, it, 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 it does feel like... Uh, he's going to need a little bit more time to to get back th- into it. But I, I don't know. I thought we looked so much better. And for once, Alex, the biggest positive I took from this game, there was no Thomas Partey. And we still looked, you know, great. Why? Because we had Declan Rice. So we don't miss him. No Partey now. And, and we can still survive. You know, we don't just look like a complete, you know, bum in midfield. We have still have Declan Rice and, and Odegaard. So, yeah, just our depth is showed in this game and this i feel like this game would have been a draw or maybe even a loss last year so very very happy about it from the men united side i think just going off of what what we mentioned there with like the center back injuries and them ending up with mcguire and evans you know trying to hold on to a 1-1 draw at the emirates and obviously failing i'm not too worried about them like i i know it's not been it's not been a great start to the season but you know they've still got Sofian Amrabat to come in in midfield who can definitely help them and sort of relieve the burden that's been put on a an aging Casemiro I'm not going to say he's old because he's still very good but aging uh that's going to be that's going to be huge for them and even if, and if they can get those two to play together that'll be big uh Hoyland came off the bench and you know had he some like nice little he spurts pretty good yeah he's yeah he looked like a breath of fresh air for Manchester United because they haven't had a physical, quick player since Wayne Rooney. Odia Nogalo? <laughs> since Wayne Rooney. So, you know, it's... Oh, you, uh, sorry, you said quick. I was I was focused on physical. Sorry, sorry, my yeah, bad. Yeah, quick, physical, like, skilled player since Wayne Rooney. Like, the, that type of player just hasn't really been on Manchester United. They've had a lot of quick, like, Anthony Martial and uh, Angel Di Maria and, you know... Right, uh, they've been forcing those kinds of players into center-forward roles, even right, like and Rashford. and then, like, giant, giant strikers in Weghorst, uh, you know, Falcao, Igalo. Ibrahimovic, <laughs> Igalo. Right, that, those have been their strikers that they've been playing, like, brutes. And now, you know, this is the different type of profile player. And uh, I think he was, he's going to be a scary player for Manchester United. I think he's going to be good. He's going to play 
I think very quickly off the bat start um, and improve this team a lot. So I think there's a lot of positives for United. You know, if you have a Rashford on the left wing, you have um, Hoyland in the middle and then. Don't say, don't say who you, I think you're going to say on the right wing. Because we've got a new Mason Greenwood situation developing with uh, a certain Brazilian winger. I, I was pausing because I didn't know who to say for the right wing, Alex. Because um, well, it's it's rough now because you can't even say Sancho oof. because Sancho and Ten yeah. Hag have been going oof. at each other. I know in the this media. is there's a lot of drama at United right now, so maybe yeah. maybe it's it is kind of dark days in terms of like you can't pass a day without there being some new bullshit drama at Manchester United. It seems like every year there's there's crap going on behind the scenes and drama and, and people being, you know, berated and, and protests and all this shit. So the life of a United fan. I'll end on this. If you had to make a ranking of the teams uh, most happy to see the international break, I'm sure Chelsea would be there. Newcastle would probably be there, but I think Man United fans would be right up there as well. Um, but who knows? Two weeks may not uh, fix the pro- some of the problems that uh, they're experiencing. Uh, let's move on to, I uh, hate to say it because I put the Liverpool-Aston Villa game second in the running order, but I think we do need to do Chelsea, Nottingham Forest next, Javier. Chelsea, as I mentioned, uh, you know, as we opened the pod, we uh, lost at home to Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest's uh, only second win in the Premier League since coming up away from home. Uh, their only other win before this was at Southampton, who we all know uh, got relegated as a bottom of the league last year. Uh, so... Not a great feeling to have a team with that kind of away record rock up to Stamford Bridge, uh, brimming with confidence, even though they hadn't gotten the results uh, beforehand against teams like Arsenal and Man United to start the season. But once that game kicked off and uh, you saw the sort of lackadaisical, lazy, low-tempo sort of football that Chelsea were playing, it immediately entered my mind that, you know, 1-1 or something like that, a draw in this game was not out of the realm of possibility. Now... Once we conceded through a terrible giveaway from uh, record signing Moises Caicedo uh, in midfield to lead to Anthony Alanga's first goal, uh, that was the point where I thought, okay, yeah, we might lose this because I I thought it was going to be a typical case of Chelsea struggling for most of the game, getting that first goal, and then, you know, conceding late off of a a set piece or something like that. But uh, once we conceded first, the fear became very real, and it was realized they, about they 45 minutes later. They brought on the anti-Chelsea god, Nuno Tavares, Alex, our, our secret agent. How is he the anti-Chelsea god? He usually plays well against you. Does he? Name one other game where he played well against us. I feel like he played That's right. well uh, a couple, uh, can couple can years you, ago. A couple years Arteta's, ago? What game? Arteta's first season. Yeah. What was the score? Didn't we do the double one? He wasn't there for Arteta's first season. Just, just give, the, give up this game. <laughs> No, Sometime, actually, Alex. He, actually, he, Javier, actually, Javier, they had our own secret agent in Ola Aina who shut down Raheem Sterling uh, playing left wing back and Sterling on the right wing. Uh, they, they did very, very well. I have to give a lot of credit to Nottingham Forest there. I, I mean, we've seen like signs of it so far, right? Like you remember the Arsenal Nottingham Forest game. Yeah, you, you guys beat them, but... You know they defended well for much of that yeah, game. Yeah, but what about what about what about that the United change, game? But what about that change that the that um, Steve Cooper made? You know, bringing on Anthony Alanga, not even at halftime. He brought him on like a couple of minutes before, so he got yeah, a few he was, minutes to like there was an in, in the there was, the there was an injury. Yeah, there was yeah, an injury. Like, that's the only reason why he was on the field. 
Well, no, but I mean, he he made an attacking change, is what I'm saying. Like he could have easily brought in like a like for like player for Danilo, but he brought in like you know a, a winger essentially in the place of a midfielder. So, you know, it was definitely a positive move, and he definitely like went in for the for the game to be you know. He, he at no point did he try to go defensive. Like he tried to score a second goal in this game, which I thought it's impressive from Nottingham Forest, and they're definitely not going to be in relegation trouble. You know the way they were playing. I mean, I, I as much as I complain about the Joel Worrell Scott McKenna backline with Willie Bolly, I thought you know they did pretty well. They had that clearance off the line um, from Jackson, but ultimately they should have conceded. I mean, you guys had so many chances. The Jackson miss in like the 84th minute that was. You feel like if that goes in, you guys probably go on and win the game. You would have. Had a ton of momentum and still some time left and you know just that took this like wind out of your sails kind of you know i agree but there was also there wasn't the incisiveness that was like necessary to cut them open enough there i think we had two shots on goal the whole game and one of them was from like a a deflected set piece that fell yeah, to Thiago like, Silva like and he just rifled the, it the, at the near post it's a little bit like you know you guys have created a ton of chances they haven't resulted in shots on goal, which is more your forward's fault, but they've been really good chances. Like, I feel like for the last couple of games, you should have scored more goals and you haven't, um, which, you know, the well, the Luton game, you scored three, but, you know, earlier in the season two, you know, Liverpool, you had some more chances, it's, especially in this game, you know, you should have scored at least three goals. And I feel like it was a little bit of a of a weird, just you know kind of freak performance. This isn't the same Chelsea team as last year. People who are trying to like compare this team to last year, I'm just like it's not even close. Like you can't. Yeah, it's completely it's just different. Not the but... same team, not the same manager, not the same players. Like there's just it's just don't, don't even try to compare them to last year because there's nothing about this team that it, that's like this. They, like they're much more. I don't um, know. Saturday felt pretty familiar, but at, at the same time, but like I, how can I'm you not, say I'm that when to, there's none of the same players on the, the pitch whole, except for I'm like Thiago Silva? I'm not trying to burn the thing down. I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm just saying, like, this team needs a little bit more uh, time and minutes playing together for mistakes like that Caicedo uh, giveaway. That it was kind of a combination of him and Connor Gallagher in midfield. Who he Caicedo had a bad touch. It was under hit, and Gallagher was you know trying to get to it and knocked it back for uh, whoever it was from Nottingham Forest. I can't remember. I didn't who love got the Gallagher, Caicedo, and Fernandez, and like trying to play Fernandez like further up the pitch. I didn't love that because I thought that the ball just got completely sucked to Raheem Sterling for the entire game because of that, and it really just made Chilwell like completely useless almost. And it was like the after Chilwell had been like pretty much the prime attacking force for Chelsea in the first few game like games, I feel like he was. It's completely non-existent in this game. Like he had the least touches of any Chelsea player, um, and the ball just never went down his wing. So it it for, it's a little bit I think experimenting still with Poch. I don't think he knows his best starting lineup. I think you know he's still trying to figure out what's the best way to play. A lot of people though are calling Alex. They're saying you should be playing four at the back when the whole preseason you were playing four at the back. He suddenly started with five at the back at the beginning of the season. It worked well in the Liverpool game. I don't know why he's continued it in games like this. Feels like you should have gone with a back four. I think it's a little bit like anti-pragmatic to do this. Yeah, no, I understand. It's it's a it's a big problem because there's no easy answer because you have to play a back five basically to incorporate Thiago Silva. If you want to play Thiago Silva in your team, you, you can't play him in a back four. He needs a player either side of him to cover for his you know lack of pace. And we even saw it in in this game though it was due to a really bad turnover in midfield. Once he gets isolated like he did for for the goal, a one he was just able to play a ball straight through his legs like 
frankly, I don't I don't blame any defender, you know, for you should not be getting maybe not through the legs, maybe not through the legs. But like if you're isolated like that, you're at the attackers like mercy. They can do whatever they want to you because you're in acres of space with no one to cover for you. Yeah, but that's the only place that they can't they shouldn't put the ball. (laughs) Yeah. Well, credit to a one year. Um, yeah, and, and the thing I'll say about the, the midfield is that I think it's a little bit too heavy in terms of like emphasizing Enzo as the more attacking of those midfield three players and, you know, trying to make Gallagher sit back and play in midfield alongside uh, Caicedo deeper. I feel like there needs to be a little bit of balance, you know, allow Connor Gallagher to go forward. He's, he's We saw at Palace, he was excellent going forward on that right side of central midfield while Enzo sits back. Let them take turns a little bit playing alongside Caicedo and we'll eventually find the balance. I, I trust those three players to figure it out at some point. And if they don't, we've still got players like Lavia and Ugishukwu uh, to to come in who could have an influence this season. So hopefully we change something because we, uh, we can't keep seeing uh, performances like that from Chelsea. Uh, but... Moving on, Liverpool, they ended up with a 3-0 win on Sunday at home against Aston Villa. I just want to hit on this because of the Dominic Schabalai goal. I loved that goal. That just left-footed sweep. Like, it didn't even look like he put that much power on it. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, fired in perfectly, like, upper right side of the net. And I was, it was just a satisfying goal to watch. Yeah, he was, um, he was dominant the entire game against Villa. Um, he was taking a lot, uh, a lot of the set pieces. Um, you know, I know Trent came off later in the game and then he took every single set piece, but he's even sharing like set piece duties with Trent. So, you know, for that type of player, uh, you know, he's probably going to be a, a good look in fantasy as well. But yeah, he, he, that was the best we've seen him so far in, in a Liverpool shirt. And I thought Liverpool were really good. I thought they were dominant. Um, I thought they looked like their old self a little bit, but in, in a different way, like they have, more of that energy that you kind of, I feel like has lacked a little bit. I know in their home games, they, they had it and this was, you know, again at home, but I, I, I do feel like Liverpool have the defensive solidity a little bit again. You know, I, th- I don't think that you can just slice right through them um, in midfield. I think they've improved defensively and I think they're starting to figure it out offensively because, you know, the, that front three of Darwin, Salah um, and uh, Diaz, I think is the the starting front three. And then you've got a bunch of super subs who can come in and change the game in different ways like Gakbo and Yota. So Liverpool are almost like a lock for top four in my mind right now and possibly like in the title race as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's something to be said for them having a performance like that against like a good team like Aston Villa while Vir- Virgil van Dijk uh, was out, suspended with the, the red card from the Newcastle game. Um, I, I was fearing for them a little bit when I saw that Aston Villa lineup and I was thinking, you know, if Villa can, you know, sort it out defensively, be, you know, low and compact like Emery sometimes reverts to against these bigger teams. Maybe they can, you know, escape on the counterattack and Watkins or Diaby can can make something happen. But it just never, never really materialized. And uh, I'm not on... I'm not saying Villa fans should be worried, but, you know, you, you'd think there'd be a bit more fight from that team. They had a, a solid... Like back three of uh, Pau Torres, Diego Carlos, and uh, Ezri Conso, and obviously with Emmy Martinez in goal. Matty Cash has started the season well at right wing back, and Digne at left wing back has been, you know, bombing forward and being a big threat. 
there, there's something like I, I maybe it's maybe it's another case of being overly reliant on this the, the five at the back like we were talking with Chelsea maybe they need to you know get another body in midfield or another body further forward to just increase their their chances of retaining the ball further up the the, the field against you know other sides that are looking to do the same thing and that in turn can maybe relieve the pressure from them defensively but I, I don't suspect Emery will make an adjustment like that anytime soon based off of how well it served him in his career and how good Villa looked for a period last year playing a similar way. So it, it kind of it sounds like a broken record at this point, but you know, Villa are another one of those teams that you're just thinking, you know, it's a tough start to the season with the away Newcastle and away Liverpool games before this international break. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just were like sorting out their new toys as well and figuring out what works. So good for Liverpool. I, I tend to agree with you that the top four I mean, there was another, you know, there was a big injury in this game, though. Realistic that, now. I think that, that did affect the game. Diego Carlos went down hurt in, like, the 18th minute. Um, and they already have Tyrone Mings out, and, like, it was, like, a non-contact injury, so it looked like he might be out for a long time. He already was, like, injured all of last season. So, they lost the, you know, their starting center back. I think Ezri Konza was still good, but then they, you know, they, they had to switch uh, basically from their game plan, which was they were in a they were in a back five and they took out Diego Carlos who was hurt and they brought on Leon Bailey. Um and Leon Bailey threw an absolute stinker. Uh, <laughs> so much so that Unai actually substituted him again. He was the first player to come off the pitch for Zaniolo in the sixty fifth minute after being subbed on in the nineteenth minute. So big yikes from uh, Leon Bailey and the substitute there. But I mean, it was kind of like a mess for Unai and the way that things happened there. So I wouldn't take too much from it. I thought that, you know, they, they got, you know, blitz off of a corner, a, a beautiful goal, like you said. And that was, you know, not a lot, not a lot of teams could have done anything about that. Um, I think teams will now cover him at the back post, but you know, it, it was just, it, it was a rough day at the office for, uh, for Villa, but I wouldn't take too much from it, but these injuries are starting to add up um, in terms of their center back. So, you know, they got to hope that Pau Torres and Kanza stay fit because one more injury to a center back and, and yeah, they're, uh, I know they, they uh, loaned out Clement Lingley, so he might be one that, uh, that can come in and, and maybe, you know, get some minutes. They've got Callum Chambers, but they're running thin. They're running thin at the back, um, but I wouldn't look too much into it. And I think they've got, uh, Zaniola looked pretty good. His uh his debut. I know they were down three nil, but he still looked pretty good. He's an interesting one. I, I want to talk about him probably on the next pod since we don't have Premier League games next weekend, uh, and we're probably going to do a revisit of our preseason predictions now that the transfer window is closed. Sort of finalize those picks for uh, this season and talk about some of the major transfers. Zaniolo is one that really jumped out to me. Um, him just coming over from Galatasaray and how his career at Roma sort of came to an end. Uh, he's he's a real X factor of a, a forward player for Villa. But let's move on to, I think Brighton three, Newcastle one. That's a that's a pretty big result. Two teams that had kind of been, uh, you know, not stumbling, but had come off bad results the previous week, and we're coming into this one uh, at Brighton. Both looking for a, to end this sort of like first spell of the season before the international break on a positive note, and instead it's Newcastle who walk out with three nil or three losses on the trot going into the international break, and uh, Brighton sort of turning things around with uh, a hat trick from young Evan Ferguson. Javier, he's the fourth youngest player 
to score a hat trick in the Premier League. Only Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, and Chris Bart Williams from Sheffield Wednesday back in 1993 have scored hat tricks at a younger age than Evan Ferguson. And it promptly came crashing right back down to earth uh, this morning, I want to say, when uh, us Irish fans heard that Evan Ferguson was going to be out for our Euro qualifiers with France and Holland with a knee injury. So. I got all excited for these couple of games to have our, you know, talisman playing and scoring goals, not just in the Premier League, but for his country as well. And no, we're not going to get to see that. But nevertheless, I'm uh, very excited to see Evan Ferguson doing so well. I can't wait for Chelsea to put in a 150 million bid for him in January or whatever the fuck crazy shit we're going to do. Um, but did you get a chance to watch this one? And uh, what were your what were your impressions of? Less so Brighton and more so Newcastle, because I feel like a lot of people are, you know, trying to reevaluate Newcastle now after these last three losses, this one being so heavy. I feel like this one was the most damaging of all the Newcastle losses, because in the other games, uh, you know, they, they kept the score close. You know, they were always in it till the end. And, you know, they kind of gave gave the last the, the Liverpool one was was damaging in, in that, like, you know, they, they had they had to lead the whole game, gave it up in the last, you know, 15 minutes. This game, they were just blitzed and didn't look particularly that good. Weren't able to execute their game plan um, defensively at all. Brighton just kind of sliced right through them. And I thought Ferguson, you know, he got a little bit lucky with uh, with the third goal, but the other two finishes were really nice. And, you know, I got lucky player. with the first one, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With <laughs> the first both, one, Pope just drops in his lap and he's able to finish. The second one was legitimately like passed it into the back of the net from 30 yards out. That was a beautiful goal. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. The The third one was a very lucky deflection, but he was in the mood. He just had to shoot, man. He had to get it on, and he did. And he scored, and he got a yeah, hat trick. I mean, it's, it's, you know, for Brighton, I don't know where they keep finding these players uh, from, but, you know. The answer is Ireland, Javier. Ireland. Ireland, Japan. They've got another, they've got an, another Irish young striker in the, in the fucking uh, they have, uh, academy right Wang now. and CCO, like they just have them from all over the world. And I don't know, they're, they're definitely probably the number one club right now in terms of having found, you know, incredible talent to go play in the Premier League. Um, and that, you know, they keep getting players transferred away from them and they don't seem to be missing a beat. So, you know, we were worried about Brighton after their loss in the last game and they reestablished themselves as, as a, you know, top tier team again. Right, Alex? Like, you know, as soon as we uh, we were thinking, oh, maybe Brighton are, you know, going to be uh, not as good. They they go and start, for you know, Ferguson and, and change things up and look really good. So actually, Ferguson did start in the last game as well. So they, yeah, it turns out the, he, West, West Ham are actually just kind of good. You know, they're just yeah, starting the season well. Right to finish on Newcastle, I, I, again, this is another team I'm just going to say right now. I'm not hitting the panic button with them either. They've got a nice run of fixtures coming up after this international break that I'm sure they'll they'll get right back on if not the winning into winning ways they could get a draw in that that game against Brentford to start uh, coming back uh, but after that it's teams like Sheffield you know they, they, they should be back up amongst it uh, and get their defensive track record back you know because I'm just gonna that, say that's the Callum Wilson needs to be starting because Isak hasn't he scored in the first game hasn't looked particularly that good since then Wilson literally scores every game he plays so he needs to be starting. Like, it's bullshit that the man's coming off the bench. And to follow that up, Harvey Barnes over Anthony Gordon. Oh, yeah, Harvey Barnes as well. Even, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's another one. That's another one. I mean, he's got Lewis Hall, too. Tino Livermento. I feel like there's 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 modifications that how could go to take this team to a better level. Um, you know, we'll see if he if he gets there. But, 
the Anthony Gordon, Almarone, Isak front three is not uh not there, not there for me. I don't, I don't like. And it. I got to say, the the first signs of uh, of adjustment to a new league uh, occurred for me for Sandro Tonali in this game on that first goal. The tracking back, the the lack of closing down the uh, the the whoever it was from Brighton who took the shot that Pope like just dropped into Ferguson's lap. Tonali. He doesn't look good. If you watch that goal back and just watch him, it doesn't come off well. You can tell he's been playing in Italy his whole life. You know, you, you need to up the concentration levels a little bit if you're going to be playing in, in midfield in the Premier League. Uh, but I'm guessing Sandro Tonali will have Eddie Howe playing that one back for him as well, and he'll uh, he'll adjust accordingly. Where do you want to go next? Because, I mean, Man City 5, Fulham 1 goes without saying but I, I feel like you were watching this one on Saturday I was focused on the the Chelsea game um, wh- what did you make of this one City are just inevitable Alex we, I mean, okay this Let's was move the on. first <laughs> yeah I was gonna say this was the first game this season where I was just like it 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 city blew them away and I mean Holland you knew he'd be bursting at the seam he did this last year I mean it was almost like it was just like in the script. He got three goals and an assist. He played in a beautiful ball into Alvarez. And you can't keep this man quiet. I mean, it had been like a couple of games. He hadn't scored, you know, a brace and or he did a couple of games ago. But yeah, this man's going to get hat tricks every few games. And ugh, just I hate it. I what was that about Arsenal winning the league? Yeah, we're not winning the league. Yeah. Okay. City are barely on the same page. City are better, barely out of second gear, and they've won every game. So it's not fun. It is interesting to see how you know, even after crazy developments in how Pep sets his team up last year, this year he's even managed to find an even scarier, uh, like not formation change, but just you know personnel change by just thinking, hey, Alvarez is one of the best, if not the best, backup striker in the league. Why don't we just play him and Holland together? <laughs> it's that along with, you know, the Rodri Kovacic midfield partnership. That's obviously different from last year. And Kovacic had the ball for uh, the first goal, played Holland in, and then Holland squared it to uh, to uh, Alvarez. Uh, but just it, it almost it makes too much sense. And yet they didn't really do it that much last season to play Holland and Alvarez together. And it turns out they work very well off of one another. Alvarez is perfectly capable of dropping in and playing like more of a creative winger type of player. And then he's comfortable making a late run to get on the end of a Holland like square ball. So, yeah, they only keep getting better. It's uh, it's crazy to see. Jeremy Doku debuted in this. I didn't think he uh, he had that great of a debut. Um, but I think when you play in a team that's as good as Manchester City, it's hard to look you know, the level that everyone else on that team is. He's obviously not that level yet, um, but but it, it was there. You know, he's he does remind me a little bit of Raheem Sterling in, in, you know, the way that he can just kind of glide through players and he's got really good skills um, at with the ball at his feet. I think he's going to have to learn to do better decision-making. Um, his first touch is still a little bit, you know, there to be had. I think that's the biggest weakness I see about him. And I've always kind of, that's been my doubt is his first touch is, is not amazing, but you know, maybe Pep can coach that into him and the physicality and the speed is there. So there, there's the makings of a scary player there who uh, they, they kind of need that injection of speed back into the team um, with Kyle Walker, you know, being played more at, you know, like right center back as opposed to right wing back. Um, but yeah, just 
levels and levels to the city team. Um, and they didn't even bring on Matias Nunez or, or start Guardiol, their two big signings that they made this summer along with Doku. Right. So, you know, they, 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 they could, they can have a couple injuries and they'll just bring in those players and still look amazing. All right. Well, before we uh, close out for this week, I know there's tons of other games we, we could talk about, but we've got fan questions from Instagram. I'm going to start uh, putting up uh, a question thing on our, in- our Instagram stories before we record every week. People can submit questions there to uh, to us. Uh, Kai underscore work on Instagram asked us, uh, number one, Eddie or Jesus starting for Arsenal after the international break. Uh, I believe he's an Arsenal fan. So Javier, real quick, who do you think will end up being the starter after the international break? Well, surprisingly, because of the second Mason Greenwood situation at Manchester United, uh, Jesus just got called up to the national team, even though, you know, he's not really fully fit yet. So I don't know if that'll be good for him, um, but I do anticipate that Enketia starts in that game because... I, I mean, Enketi is going to in with England, but he's not going to be starting with England. So I think Jesus might get more game time and, you know, he'll be traveling all the way to Brazil and internationally. I think he'll be, you know, needed to be eased back in when he comes back. So I anticipate Enketi start and Jesus off the bench. And then the uh, the second question Kyle asked was, uh, who's going to be the first manager sacked? Uh, you took that Arsenal one. Let me uh, let me take this one. First manager sacked. I think I'm taking Sean Dyche. I don't think they should do it. But I think they will. That'd I mean, be pretty crazy. Wolves, they just you know parted ways with Lopetegui right before the the season started. They've got O'Neill in. Bournemouth just hi- hired Andoni Iraola. Uh, they're in sixteenth. Not going to fire him. The other ca- candidates are Sheffield United. Um, with I was going to say Paul Sheffield Heckingbottom, or Luton's manager. Maybe Luton uh, with Anthony or what's his name? I can't even. Rob Edwards, I think it is. Uh, and then Burnley, I don't think Burnley would, uh, I don't think you could pay them to fire Vincent Company. So, um, yeah, Sean Dykes is the only other one there that I, I think Everton might get a little trigger happy and uh, part ways with him a little bit too soon. And that could be one of the keys that sends them down. But Javier, we've got a couple minutes left in the most abridged version you can do. First of all, do you have any fantasy segment for us this week with no, you know, Premier League games going on next weekend? And if so, Not what really. is it? What I, what I was, what I was going to say is, um, you know, if there's a week to wild card, it's usually this week. If you want to try to like change your team or gain value, um, and you want to do that necessarily earlier on, because the way that uh, a wild card works is you can continuously make transfers in your team, um, and throughout the whole week you can keep changing, doing different iterations. But players will be going up in price during these couple of weeks, uh, depending on who's getting transferred. Um, so there are some players which uh, you know I think you've got to be on alert. Uh, one of them, Hyung Min Son, scored a hat trick um, for Tottenham, played at striker. Um, that was the first game he's played at striker before that. Richarlison had been playing in the middle. So, you know, who knows if that's going to be what continues next game? You know, logic says that it will be. Um, and that's one that, you know, I think even though he plays Arsenal and then I think Newcastle in the next two games, or something like that. No, he plays Sheffield at home and then he plays Arsenal and Liverpool. Um, but both Liverpool and Arsenal aren't, you know, like amazing defensively. So I think Son could get offensive returns even against those teams but definitely against Sheffield so he's one that I'd look to get in your fantasy team um, like Alex said Julian Alvarez that's another one who he's only 6.7 mil I anticipate he's going to be go up to like you know maybe even 7.5 this season he, I think he's going to be one that gets picked up a lot and stays in people's fantasy teams and goes up and up in price so I think that's one where you know you might want to pick him up sooner rather than later and then Alex said another one you know Ferguson scored a hat trick he's 6 mil striker 
You have to keep an eye on the the knee injury. Yeah, we'll see about the injury. I was about to say, you know, definitely keep an eye on that. See how that, you know, if during the international break, if he's, you know, back in training and stuff. But, um, and then, you know, lastly, Alex, uh, you're a one That's another striker who uh, already brought him in. I was disappointed. I was sure he was going to score against Chelsea (laughs) because he did. He scored a hat trick against us last year. Didn't he get an assist? He got an assist. Yeah. He hasn't blanked yet this season. So he's been, he's been a monster. He had gone like seven or eight games in a row in the Premier League scoring before that game. So yeah, he's, he's on a hot streak right now. Um, And, and in midfield, the other one who can't stop, who's super hot right now, Ward Prowse, uh, you know, West Ham, I know they have a pretty difficult run of games, so maybe, you know, don't bring them in right now, but I would keep an eye on the West Ham players, Ward Prowse, Bowen, because they're going to be big assets, you know, after they come out of this, this, this hard run that's coming up. But, uh, you know, you might even just bring in Ward Prowse now, because I think he's going to keep going up in price. He's only 6.1 mil. um, And for a midfielder, that's always on set pieces and getting returns. I mean, he was getting returns at Southampton, you know, 10 something goals and a bunch of assists. He's on a way better team now. So, you know, I think that's one that uh, that's being definitely undervalued right now. Only 6.7% of people have picked them up. So, All right. Javier, thanks again for uh, jumping on uh, the pod after work. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can do so at JavierEv9. You can follow me at ASMOS92 on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, please go ahead and give us a rating and review, uh, and obviously follow the pod if you don't already. Those new ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the pod, and we always appreciate it when you guys can uh, help us grow this thing. Enjoy your international break, and until next time, thank you.